Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. If you have your Bibles, open them to Mark 11. Um, I get the privilege of continuing the series that you guys have been going through, through the book of Mark. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to do some teaching, and then we're going we're gonna to get somewhere. But before we, we dive into this, I want to read another passage to you. It's actually in Luke 24, 45. I was reading this, I don't know, a month or so ago, as I was just reading the Word. And I just came across this, and I, I thought it was so cool. It's Luke 24, 45. So Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's come, and he's, he's meeting with his disciples. And, and it's just this verse that something just stood out to me. It says, then he, and it's speaking of Jesus, opened up their minds so they could understand scriptures. I was reading this as I was reading the Bible, obviously, and I just had this prayer that came out like, God, Jesus, open my mind so that I can understand scripture, so that I can understand your word. And I want us to do this. I want to pray that as we dive into Mark 11, that, that the Holy Spirit would open our minds, open our hearts to receive for you, for me, for us, what he wants us to get out of his word today. So Jesus, we just thank you that uh, you are the word and that you, you came to open up our eyes, open up our minds, our hearts to all that you're saying to us. So we pray this morning that you would open your word, that you would open our minds. I pray that you would speak very specifically, whether it's one part or, or many parts, to each person in this room, that we wouldn't leave just gathering information, but God, that you would speak through your word to us. So open our hearts, open our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys ready? We're going to read a bunch of scripture, and we're going to set up um, a portion of Mark 11. This is one of those chapters where there's five or six different messages in and of itself in there, packed in there. We're going to do a bit of an overview and highlight a few of those. It's actually, it was a little hard for me because there's so many good things, like we can talk about this, we can talk about that. So we're going to do an overview and actually highlight a series of events, of events that happens with Jesus here. And actually, we see that they're actually connected and not disconnected or isolated things that he's highlighting, but actually leading towards something that he's trying to rewire, teach, and open up to us. So we're going to read verses uh, 12 through 26. The first part of Mark 11 is uh, the triumphal entry where Jesus, uh, he's, he's on the donkey, he's riding into town, everyone's yelling, Hosanna to the Son of God. They're putting palm trees. They're celebrating. This was a good ministry day for them. The crowds loved him. They're cheering. How many of you would like to be cheered as you walked into church? You know, like, yeah, we're so glad you're here. So this was like a good moment. But then we're going to pick up on uh, verse 12, where after this moment, it's actually the next day. It says this in verse 12. The next day they were leaving Bethany, and Jesus was hungry. Seeing a, uh, in the distance a fig tree... In leaf, he went out to find it, uh, find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. He said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Uh, then it goes on, the next part of the story, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, who would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. And he taught them, he said, it is, not, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. 
The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began to look for ways to, a way to kill him. They feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, uh, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw a fig tree withered from roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Then he said this, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may also forgive your sins. So this is actually a period of what we're reading here, a period of two different days. So triumphal entry comes. The next day, they're walking. The fig tree happens. We're going to talk about that. They go to the temple court. And then the next day after that, they go back and see this fig tree is withered. And Jesus shares this amazing truth to his disciples and to us that if you have, you know, if you have faith and believe the words that I'm saying, you can move mountains. So what I want to do is we're actually going to start at the end of this. How many of you guys have watched those movies where you know, you, 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 the, the movie starts off in the beginning where I bet you're wondering how I ended up here. And then it kind of goes backwards. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like kind of reverse things. So we're going to start at the end here where Jesus is talking about moving mountains. He says, if anyone believes these words, you could say, uh, go throw yourself into the sea. But if you don't down your house, then this will happen. Like this is pretty cool. How many of you guys have a mountain in your life that you want to see moved or maybe need to see moved? Anyone? I got two. I got more than one. So this is cool. I mean, I don't think anyone's like, no, I don't want any mountains in my life to move. I'd like the things to say bad, hard. I'm good. I'm happy about that, right? Most of us like this kind of stuff. Mountains moving, you got my attention, right? And, and, and just, I just want to say this. As we lead back to this point, and we're going to go backwards in just a minute, these things are all connected. It's so easy sometimes to read um, especially in the Gospels, to read, there's just packed parables and stories, and you almost isolate it like, oh, this was a separate thought, this was a separate message. But as we can see here, this is over a period of two days, and they are all connected. So when Jesus is telling his disciples, he's actually telling us, you can move mountains with your prayer. Like, that is, this is, this is powerful. But as we've seen through this series, Jesus is re- framing, rewiring, and, and kind of breaking down the, the way that people had looked at their expectation for what the Messiah would do, what, what Jesus would come to do. And he's trying to teach them, no, this, there's a different way. It's the way of the kingdom. And so getting to this point of prayer that moves mountains actually is not even what people expected. But we're going to see kind of how we get to this point. So you guys with me? So I'm the, I'm the new guy here. I, I'm like the distant cousin. So I am part of the family. But, you know, you got to make me feel welcome. So you got to laugh a little bit. You got to talk. Help me out, right? I, I, I need your help. I need your love and support. All right, here we go. So we're going we're gonna to start at this part here um, in, when Jesus comes up to the fig tree, all right? Um, so I'll, I'll just read this, this one part of the story one more time to you. Mark 11, 12. When they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. I'll pause here for a moment. This is biblical evidence of what it means to be hangry. I think Jesus was hangry here. It says, Jesus was hungry, hangry, seeing the, the distance. He was so hangry that he just took it out on this poor fig tree, right? Like, come on, like, just love a tree. Go hug a tree, Jesus. Don't kill the tree. And uh, it's actually an interesting 
story because we're like, man, this doesn't seem like the Jesus that we know. Like, you know, loving, accepting, reaching the leper, just, you know, breaking the mold. He's just like cursing trees. Like, what the heck, Jesus? What are you doing, right? And I, I remember, um, as we're going to see here, he's actually going after something which is tied into the appearance of a form of godliness through this, this story of the tree and actual real fruit. How many of you guys remember, has anyone have a grandma or maybe, maybe someone you know that has fake fruit in their house, the, the plastic fake fruit? And there's different levels of fake fruit. There's like, yeah, that's real fake. And then there's stuff that looks so real. You're like, wow, I would like a bite of that. My mom, um, on her, I think it was like a, a kitchen table, used to have this spread of like the fake fruit that looks real. My daughter, Grace, I think she was two, she, you know, she's hungry and hangry. She comes up and like just grabs it and like takes a bite of it. Obviously, it was not what she'd expected. And there were like little teeth marks on this fruit. To this day, like we would walk by the table and we're like, oh, yeah, Grace tried to take a bite of that. And uh, what, I share this with you because Jesus is hungry. He's, he's looking for something to eat. And he's, he's like, what the heck? There's no, there's no figs on this tree. Now, if, if you read the, the story and the disciples are like, well, Jesus, you know, they're there aren't any figs because as the Bible says here, it's not fig season. So like you're kind of being unrealistic here. Why are you expecting there to be figs when this is not the time of year for figs, right? But Jesus, it's actually very interesting as I, as I dove into this a little bit. Although this seems harsh, um, I did some research on fig trees in the Palestinian time. So I'm going to share some information about Palestinian fig trees. You're like, Zach, thank you so much. I was hoping to come to church and find out more about fig trees. This is an answer to prayer. You're welcome. So I'm going to read a, a, a several portions that are, uh, come from some commentaries and things to give you some more context as to why actually Jesus' harsh response is actually not so unreasonable after all. Okay, you guys with me? Right? You with me? When we're supposed to talk a little bit? There, there you go. You're doing great. Here we go. So it says this, after the fig harvest, so... The fig harvest happened between mid-August to mid-October. The branches of fig trees sprout buds that remain underdeveloped throughout the winter. These buds swell into small green knops known as, in Hebrew, as pagum. So in March through April, followed shortly by the sprouting leaf rubs of the same branches used in April, the fig tree produces these fig knops and also produces leaves. Remember that the passage said, that the tree was full of leaves, but leaves but didn't have fruit. But once a, fi a fig tree is in leaf, one expects to find branches loaded with this pagum uh, fruit, which is not a full frig, but you can still eat it. This is implied um, where Jesus is seeing a fig tree in full foliage, turns inside out, hoping to find, Jesus is hoping to find something edible because he's hungry, because he's hangry. In the spring of the year, the pagum are, of course, not yet ripened into mature summer figs, but they can be eaten and often are by natives. That The tree, however, turns out to be deceptive, for it is green and foliage, but when Jesus inspects it, he finds no pagum. So it is in the tree that, that there, there are signs of fruit, but no fruit at all. Listen to this part. Jesus used this incident to teach his disciples and all Christians today that the outward appearance appearance does not count with God. Instead, what really counts is whether or not one produces godly fruit in his or her life. Jesus saw what everyone else would have seen, 
upon close inspection. The tree was actually dead. It looked okay from the distance, but it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. By cursing the tree, Jesus stated the obvious. It's a dead tree, no matter how full the leaves are. Isn't that interesting? You're like, wow, I just got some fun Jesus facts here today. So why did he curse the tree? Because actually the tree, though it seemed to be fruitful, it seemed to be alive, was actually not alive and well. And and as we're going to see, we're going to move on to the next moment. Jesus is actually trying to get something. There's something tied into this that we need to pay attention to. You guys with me? We're going to walk through this and then we're going to land on something. So this is the next moment. After this fig tree, this story continues. This is not separate, but Jesus is actually going into the temple and actually through some biblical uh, background, the fig tree and actually the temple, there's actually some semblances or uh, symbolism that connect the two between the, the, the fig tree and the temple. So in Mark 11, when Jesus comes into the temple courts, he throws over changing tables. He throws over tables where people are selling things. Jesus is actually going after something. It's not just because he's angry. Now, I want to say this. Do you know that you can be angry and not sin? Anger actually in and of itself is not bad. It says this in Ephesians 4.26. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. We actually see, and this should encourage you, Jesus was real. He was a person. The Jesus I follow is not this saint that has everything together, has no emotions, and just is kind to everyone. He had a righteous anger. There's, there's such a thing as righteous anger. He had a holy indignation because of something that was happening here. And there's, so, there's such a thing as healthy anger and unhealthy anger. Also anger, and also meaning that you can have anger and not sin, and that anger itself, in and of itself actually is not sin. It's what you do with that anger. But, but here's, here's some context and some history about what's actually going on here and why Jesus is angry. So many people would, would say, you know, the triumphal entry happened. They would be like, you know what? Revival's happening. There's good things going on. Crowds are following Jesus. People are getting healed. People are shouting him down when he walks the streets. But then he goes into this temple. And so for Jesus and for everyone else, like things are happening. Jesus actually was being aware also that these high priests and these religious leaders wanted to kill him. He knew this. So for Jesus to come in and just knock over the tables, this was not done lightheartedly. He knew and was aware they were looking for a reason to kill him. They were looking for a reason to say, hey, who you are, what you're doing is wrong. But here's here's the deeper context. Why was he so angry? The main point was extortion. So selling animals and sacrifice at the temple was actually common practice. He wasn't, accept, he wasn't upset about that. But here's what he was upset about. The priests were forcing people to buy their, their animals, their things, at, at a price forcing them to purchase above what was the normal cost or currency for what they would buy for their practices of going to the temple and sacrificing. So, so basically a pair of doves, which they would sacrifice as their gift and offering, could cost as little as four pence outside the temple, but as much as 75 inside the temple. That's t- almost 20 times more expensive than the actual cost. They were taking advantage. They were extorting the people for their own gain. They were taking a place of worship, the sacrifice. You know, Jesus hadn't come yet. So they, their way of getting forgiven of their sins was to sacrifice the animal. The, 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 the priests were, 
They were cashing in on it. They were like, hey, this is going to cost you this much. It goes deeper to this. It wasn't just that they were extorting the people, but what was happening in, the, in, in this area was actually keeping the people from praying. The, go, the Gospel of Mark explains this, as we just read, is that the, the house of God, the temple of God, this is referring to Isaiah 56, 7, a prophecy that was declaring what the temple was for. The house, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So what was going on was keeping people from praying. And not only that, this was the only place where they were selling was the only place the Gentiles, the people that were not Jewish, could come into the temple and pray. It's hard to do that with an auction going on, like people selling and all this commotion. Also, in this very place, the blind and lame were restricted to come into the court of the Gentiles so they couldn't get closer to the temple and they could not go to, to the altar to offer sacrifices. Also, also, after purging the court, the Gentiles of merchants and robbers, Jesus, you see him stopping and ministering to the outcasts who were congregated there. In, in Matthew's account of this story, it says that the blind and lame came to him. So this bold action of Jesus when he drove out the merchants and money changers from the temple courts did not discourage those who were actually in need from coming to him. He was, he was removing the things that was, keep, that was keeping the actual people in need from being able to come. He was removing the, the, the counterfeit, extorted view of what this worship was supposed to look like that was keeping people from actually truly being a people of prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. He wasn't, he wasn't just upset about the, the, the selling that was going. He was upset about the way that it was happening and what it was preventing from happening. This is important because Jesus, again, as you see this comparison to the fig tree, to the temples, he's going after fruit. He's going after true life that produces change. You know, the crazy thing is that the temple, in this case, was not uh, operating or a place like it was supposed to be. I'll, I'll read this last piece to you. It's so interesting. It says, the temple in Jerusalem was much the same as the fig tree. What appeared to be full of life was actually lifeless. Jesus wants his disciples to see this. Why? It's possible, listen to this, it's possible to be outwardly religious and yet inwardly dead. But we need the reality of Jesus, not just an appearance, but the reality of with him. We need the real thing. We need intimacy. We need fruit. We need life. We see this actually in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that in, after Jesus came, he changed the paradigm. And this is what he's also trying to change here is up until this point, people had known the temple as a place of worship. And he says this, in, it's, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? Jesus is changing the paradigm of what the temple is, but he's still going after this thing. It can't just be an appearance of godliness, an appearance of going through motions. He wants something deeper. He wants true heart. And, and, and one of the things he wants is a life of prayer, which is why we're going to end at this place again of moving mountains in our life. You guys still with me? I want to highlight one last thing at the end of this. So it says, you know, the next day, day two, as they're, 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 they're leaving, going on to the next place, they see the dead tree, and then Jesus makes this statement that if you have faith, you believe these words that I'm saying, that your prayers can move mountains. But this last part of it in verse 25, um, he, he says something that if, if you just read it at first glance, it may seem a little out of place. Like, 
You know, you see these things happening, but as, as we're studying this, you see that they're connected. He says, and when you stand praying, he just mentioned your prayer can move mountains, your faith can move mountains. But as when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Why did he say this? Because, listen, Jesus is not just looking again for a form of godliness. Even the right prayers, like, oh God, just move this mountain. He wants the hidden areas. He wants true fruit in our life. And so he's going after this thing of like, you can pray boldly and loud and whatever it is, but that, that actually isn't the key to move mountains. It's actually that your prayer comes from a place a pure heart submitted to the life, the way of Jesus that we've been studying through this book of Mark. And, and, and we see this throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels. Uh, he, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come bring your gift. So this is true, like not just of our worship, but it's true of our prayer. We can't just pray bold prayers. We're called to, and we'll talk about this in just a bit. We're called to pray bold prayers of faith to say, God, I can't move this mountain, but I believe you can. We begin to pray with confidence. But we can't pray with one side of our mouth, God, move this mountain. And yet on the other side of our heart, our life, we're, we're, we're holding unforgiveness. We're gossiping. We're bitter. We're, con we're condemning someone else. Because if we need God to forgive us, we have to extend forgiveness. Are you with me on this? He's going, again, just a little bit deeper into this thing of not just an appearance of godliness, but real fruit, real prayer, real connected to the, the heart of God, not only for us, but for his people. You know, it's interesting because unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, someone once said is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill someone else. This is what we do. We, we, we get hurt, and I, I'm not trying to uh, push aside or say that that thing that hurt you or that person that hurt you is okay. I'm not trying to minimize that. But that unforgiveness, that bitterness that we hold on to, in the end, you're the person that's going to suffer more than anyone else. If you don't release forgiveness, we, we often hold unforgiveness because, like, you know what? They deserve it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just not going to forgive them. But what happens is they don't get punished. We do. Because <laughs> bitterness and selfishness and hate, those things grow in our hearts, not theirs. And it affects the way we pray. So this is why Jesus is saying, hey, your prayers can move mountains. But listen, before you pray that, you need to forgive that person. Let me just tell you this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. Jesus, it says this on the cross in Luke 23, 34. He said, Father, on the cross, hanging on the cross, he had been beaten. He'd been wrongfully accused. He's being ridiculed to his face by soldiers and people. Around. The very people that had just earlier in this chapter had been in the street saying, Hosanna, Jesus, you're the Messiah. We love you. They're giving him all the shout outs, props, praise and everything. Many of those people were there standing condemning him, joining the crowds, ridiculing, saying, if you were the son of God, then raise yourself from this cross. And what did Jesus say in that moment? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I guarantee you, Jesus did not have warm, fluttery feelings for these soldiers that had beaten him and were 
hurling insults at him, spitting on him. But yet he chose to forgive. It shows us that forgiveness is a choice that we make. I remember um, I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, we were on a missions trip. We went to the Philippines for a month. There were about 12 of us on our team. And so we, we went there. We did medical missions. We had some doctors, and we were doing um, medical missions. We were going to schools. We're sharing the gospel. We're, you know, we're there for a month. I was a sophomore. It was a really cool experience. But I don't remember how long, but very early into the trip, these 12 people, some of them really started to get on my nerves. Like, it was bad. Have you ever lived with someone 24-7? Now, I'm not talking about your spouse, so don't, like, judge them. Like, that's another message for another day. Like, I was with these people, and, you know, you don't get to pick. You get to pick your spouse. Like, you don't get to pick your team. And so some of these people, I remember writing in my journal, Dear God, help me. I'm going to kill this person, you <laughs> This is, like, the example of an ungodly anger and what it could lead to, Right? And I, I was literally besides myself because I, we, we ate together. Like the guys were in bunk beds and rooms together. We drove everywhere together in cars. We never got a break from each other. And some of these people like were driving me crazy. And uh, I, I read this passage. I, I referenced it earlier where, you know, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Now I'll read this, I'll read this part to you because I saw something in here at this point during this moment where I'm really struggling with some serious anger and unforgiveness. It's where everything they would do would drive me crazy. Not everyone, but just a handful of them. And I read this passage and saw something I hadn't seen before. It says this in um, Ephesians 4.25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. We read this earlier. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so they may have something to share with those in need. Anytime I had read that in the past, I, you know, we, we know that in, in Scripture, the Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I had always read this thing like, you know, don't let the sun go down in your anger. You know, we got to forgive. We know that's the Christian thing to do. It's what Jesus told us to do. But it says anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. And in my the way I had read it so many times was that that person that was stealing was the enemy. Like, we got to forgive or else we're opening the door, giving a foothold to the enemy to steal. But as I read this, I actually saw that's actually not what he's saying because he says, one, don't give the devil a foothold. So that's true. But it says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. How many of you know that the devil can't do anything useful? So this, this end part of this passage is not talking about Satan. It's actually talking about you and me. There's this contrast that if we don't forgive, we're actually stealing from the relationships, the places, from ourselves, and preventing ourselves from being able to bring something useful to help others. That changed, like, totally changed my perspective because I started really thinking, yeah, I'm not just forgiving because that's what Jesus tells me to do. When I don't forgive, not only do I suffer, but I'm taking away what I have to bring to give to other people. Are you guys, are you guys seeing this? This is, this is important to see because we, as we look at this passage in Mark where he's telling us, pray, your prayers can move mountains, but then he goes into this thing, forgive other people. There's this realization that when these are very connected, that our prayer, like we need forgiveness from God, so we have to extend forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling, but there's also this thing that when we are not 
forgiving other people, we're actually preventing bringing something that can help the situation. Why do we pray? We want God to come and do something that can help. We're actually contradicting ourselves if we're not actually dealing with this thing of forgiveness. You guys with me on this? It just changed the way I, I saw things and, and opens up this thing where Jesus, through a series of events, is trying to teach us and model to us that we have power but the way that we live, just an appearance of godliness or, or having clutter and things in our life that are preventing true prayer, true worship, true, the, the true heart of who, who we are as the temple of God and then how forgiveness is connected, it changes the way we see some of these things. He's trying to open uh, their eyes and our eyes to the real power that is available to us. So as we close, we'll, we'll go back to this moving mountains thing. I listened, if you were here three weeks ago, Benji um, was unpacking chapter 8 of Mark. And, he, and he, he, did, he did a great job. If you haven't listened to this, go back and, and, and listen to it. But he, he, was, he was talking about how Jesus was redefining what he came to do and what his kingdom was about. They, they thought he, the Messiah was going to come and deliver them from the Romans and you know, take care of all these people that were oppressing them. And, and actually, they began to see, actually, the kingdom of God was going to look different than what they thought. The Messiah, what, his, what he came to do was not just what they, they had thought or expected. He was actually trying to rewire how they saw and what they thought about not only the kingdom of God, but who Jesus was in his ways. It's kind of like rewiring. We, we have a rental house, and uh, uh, just recently... We were having some electrical issues. Uh, one of our plugs um, it was like 220 volts of, of elect electricity was coming through it, so it like blew up our vacuum. And then another plug just wasn't working. It was not good, right? There was, there was something in the back end that needed to be rewired so that it would work appropriately. Now, this is what Jesus is doing, not just about who the Messiah is in the kingdom of God. He's now going deeper into our lives, deeper into the disciples' lives and saying, hey, what you thought was power or what prayer looks like is not just this outward thing that they saw the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests doing. There's something deeper. That what the kingdom of God expects is that it's not just outward appearance. It's actually deep things in the heart, life, fruit. It's not just going through the motions. It's actually creating a place where the kingdom takes place. This is why he was so upset in the temple. And lastly, our prayer is not just about praying for things outwardly. It starts inwardly. We have to forgive. And if this is out of alignment, we're not actually fully walking in why Jesus came. He's rewiring the perspective. I believe that when he's talking about moving mountains, yeah, he's talking about impossible things, but some of those mountains were actually thought processes, ideologies, or things that they, they were trying to fit Jesus or God into to work for them. And he's like, no, when you see things my way, it changes the way you pray. I remember my mom, uh, she, she used to teach me when I was a kid. I, I grew up in an awesome home. We were going to be missionaries. And so she would just teach us. I, I remember when I had nightmares, my mom would say, when you get afraid, you just say, in the name of Jesus. And so I thought, like, in the name of Jesus is like the secret Christian power weapon, right? In the name of Jesus, you know. It, it's true. You see this in Scripture. But uh, the name of Jesus is powerful. And so I just used to pray. I'd be having nightmare, nightmares, and my mom wasn't there. I'm like, in the name of Jesus, you know, I don't know what I'd say. Just like, bad dreams go away or whatever. Like, 
But it was, I started learning this thing of like, actually, there's power in the name of Jesus. There was this one moment where we were on a walk, our family, my mom, anybody have a red, uh, the radio flyer red wagon growing up? Any of you guys? We did a lot of fun things with that thing. Um, but one time, my mom, we were on this walk. Uh, my, I, had two, there's, I had two sisters that were there at the time, and they were younger. And we were walking through this neighborhood, and this pack of pit bulls had gotten out of this neighbor's yard. And like, it was like a scene from a movie, like surrounded us. They're like barking. I mean, you guys have read stories in the news where these dogs attack. I mean, they were, I don't know if they were bred to fight or whatever. They were not nice dogs. They're not like Rocco, my golden doodle. This was a scary dog. And literally, I mean, we're standing there, and I remember my mom. It was, I, 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 these are one of those moments where I started believing in the power of prayer. There was no one around. My two sisters, they're like toddlers. I don't know, I'm six or seven. And my mom, like, like they were about to come in, and no one was around to help. My mom was like, she yelled out in this place, in the name of Jesus, like, stop, or something, something like that. It was all a blur. But in that moment, like literally out of the blue, this one person came, the dog stopped, and I'm like, God is real. <laughs> like prayer works, you know. So I, I just started learning this thing. And, and, and why am I saying this? Because Jesus is trying to rewire that actually you have power. You're not helpless. You're not just listing off requests. You're not doing this show of prayer that they see. With the the, the Sadducees, Fadu <laughs> it's a new name. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the priests. He's actually like, no, there's something po powerful. It's not just a show. There's power to your prayers. Paul, Paul prayed this for the church. He prayed this for, you, for me in Ephesians 1.18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Listen to this. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is like the, the same power and his mighty strength he asserted when he raised Christ from the dead. Do you understand that you, like Paul is praying, would, you, would your eyes be open to the power that you have? This, not, this power is not based on you. It's based on Jesus. But when we line our life up to the way Jesus invites us to live, we have access to that same power. But here's the thing. When we begin to line our life up to Jesus, like like, like Benji talked about, like Stevie talked about the last two weeks, there's something that begins to happen. We live our lives differently. We surrender. We're not just like praying to Jesus as the genie in the sky, like I'd like a new car and I want that girl to like me and God, give me that promotion at work. It's not that. It's that our life is, and we should pray that that girl would like you. You should pray that God gives you the resource. Like that, pray about everything. But the power is not just, oh, now I, I have this jackpot license that I can just get what I want. no. We begin to pray like him because we're connected to him. We have his heart and we have authority because we're praying not just like him, but we're praying with him. Now, this is the powerful thing is that you have authority because you're under authority. When you submit your life to the way of Jesus, the things that Jesus try, is trying to undo, change and rewire and how they see the kingdom, you have authority because you're under the way of Jesus. If you're not under authority, you don't have that same authority. And Jesus is trying to teach a model. You guys are with me on this. It's actually exciting because it begins to change the way we see things. I want to invite the band to come up. Listen, you have authority because you're under authority. You're, the, the power is not just a cheap name, a cheap name it and claim it. It's not just asking for anything we want. It's an invitation to, to lay our life down like Jesus.
But then there's power that many do not walk in. It's power that moves mountains. You know, you know my favorite place to move mountains is in my car. People probably think I'm crazy. I just get in my car and like God, God is inviting us to this place of prayer. And I, I like, people don't know I'm praying because I just like turn the music up. They probably think I'm on a like intense phone call or just singing like some crazy song, whatever. But I begin to like, I begin to move into this place because there's power in our words. There's power when we agree with heaven. Our life is submitted to heaven. Power that moves mountains. Jesus is trying to open their eyes to this. And I begin to pray, whether it's little or big, I'm praying, God, I need wisdom with my daughters. God, I, you know this need financially. Or God, you know this problem. I don't have the answer to. We begin to pray and agree with heaven and say, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. This is what your word says. You can actually pray with boldness and confidence. My prayer is that as we leave here today, that some of you would begin to pray differently because you recognize that your words, not because you're just making it up and saying whatever words, your words have power because they're connected to the heart of God. They're connected to his words. Some of us, we complain, we gossip, we compare more than we pray. This is what Jesus is getting at. He doesn't want just a form of godliness. You show up to church. How's it going, brother, sister? You know, we look like we have it all together. When he's like, no, I want real fruit in your life. I want you to remove the stuff that gets in the way. I want you to, to deal with the inward things and release forgiveness to people, but then I want you to pray. He was mad. Jesus was mad in the temple because he wanted the temple, the, the, the church, which is now you and me, to be a house of prayer. He wants us to pray differently with boldness and authority that we bring everything to him and say, God, I don't have the answer, but I'm not going to try to do it on my own. I'm going to come to you. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.